Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Jens Nelson. And I'm Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So today, Lucas, it's Sunday. Uh, I feel like we haven't Sunday. recorded on a, on a Sunday in a while, but um, we had some time, so we're, we're going to knock out a couple episodes here. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's like down where you are, but the last several days have been high 60s, low 70s as far as the weather goes. And it's, you know, the I guess the second week now of November and we're, you know, having summer-like weather. It's It's been pretty nice. Like, my wife and I went for a walk for, like, an hour or so, and I don't know. How, how you been doing, man? Uh, weather-wise, it's been... That's kind of, like, what it's been here, which is, like, cool or cold for here, it seems. <laughs> um, but it has, you know, it's usually back up to the mid-70s by, like, the middle of the day. But the mornings and the evenings have been nice and crisp um which is kind of nice to feel like it's cooling down a little bit we right. i mean we've even had the heat on uh occasionally at at, at night which is i don't know i, I don't want to say it's a good thing but it's kind of a <laughs> nice change from the like scorcher weather that that kind of carried over through september here at least compared to what i'm used to <laughs> well we've been in this place for a week now and it's been amazing to be able to actually control our heat and air um, like Man, today we who, have who to thunk right <laughs> we had the air on very low today because it actually was pretty toasty i mean we faced the sun directly so we get a lot of you know direct uh, sunlight but um that's nice for like bills too right like electricity or whatever so it's been it's been nice to have the ability to like oh it's you know however you know six sixty nine seventy 70 degrees let's turn it up or down and you know be comfortable and not have to <laughs> just <laughs> cozy up under a mountain of blankets Nice. Yeah. Well, besides diversity in climate, we also, as we say at the beginning of every episode, have diversity despite the fact that we strive for unity when it comes to being, as we say, members of Christ's church. Right. Right? Great segue. But today we're wanting to have, I don't know, like in my notes, I kind of just had this is like a conversation on Catholicity is kind of what I called it. Like this isn't going to be necessarily as I guess, thorough or systematic as some of our conversations can be, you know, as far as like structure and research and prep and laying out sort of a, you know, an outline of this is what we're going to cover so much as this is a topic that I've been thinking about a lot or a fair bit recently, just kind of in my, you know, spare time. It's just a, a thought or a question that's kind of been swirling around my head a bit. And we talked a little bit about it earlier this week. Yeah, it was in our um, Q&A episode. It came up as a right. as a question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, what, and maybe it wasn't actually. No, this was I a think, conversation we had separately. I think it was sort of spurred by my question about claiming past theologians who we differ from, which I think is, I think is, is part of what kind of spurred this on it, which is a related, but, but a little bit different question than 
what right. we kind of wanted to, to talk about, but we wanted to approach it as a more of just a, I don't know, a conversation, but more of like exploring, I guess, some thoughts, uh, rather than trying to lay out any kind of like, you know, a f- I, don't, I don't know the word official or firm or like final kind of word on the subject, at least from us. So much as these are thoughts we've had, conversations we've sort of started, but we want to kind of explore a little further. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what necessarily the goal is so much as just to... It's to start a conversation and to hopefully keep a conversation going because I think that these are important conversations to be had in the church, especially when you consider, you know, we had a presidential election this week and... Um, what, really? such a divisive time in our nation and in you know you know it's it's good to be having conversations that are seeking to be promoting unity and fellowship mm-hmm. and brotherly affection um i guess what it might be helpful just to to let the listeners know that you know this this did really start with a tweet that i had that you brought up um a tweet that i i basically said right. like there are five distinctives of myself theologically, and they were all C's, you know, the the good Baptist in me, um, you know, <laughs> with my outline being, you know, all having the same first letter or whatever. But uh, the first one I said was Catholicity, and then um, confessional, uh, Calvinistic, covenantal, and credo-Baptist. So five C's that sort of, you know, if you were an outsider looking in at, at who I am, these are things that I think help define who I am theologically. And, you know, you might be interested to know that, like, you know, the word reformed wasn't in there or Baptist or whatever. And it's it's not that I'm not those things, but I think they can kind of fall under those five umbrella terms. Um, so mm-hmm. this tweet, um, instead of replying with your typical snark, and I being snarky by saying <laughs> that, <laughs> you I think you just, like, called me or something. Or we, we had a phone call. I don't remember if it was after recording or when it was, but we had this conversation about about this tweet, and as Lucas said, in relation kind of like to claiming theologians that might fall outside of your camp, like what what is Catholicity? What does it look like to be little C Catholic? You know, we're not we're not necessarily talking about big C Catholic Church. Um, that's that's not necessarily the intention of this episode. But as as people who are a part of the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Um, what does it look like to have diversity? Um, you know, how how diverse can you be and still be considered Catholic? I think was the the question that you sort of posed to me, and I gave you like my like, oh wow, you've never really asked this before. I don't, I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. So I gave you my brief answer, and so I think what we decided was we would kind of turn that conversation into an episode today. And that's one that I think is important. Like we said, it's 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 a good conversation to have. You know, as somebody who's a Baptist, um, somebody who believes in credo baptism, um, you know, a lot of people would say that that's something so distant and removed from the historic faith. You know, that was largely pedo Baptist, largely um, baptizing infants for the first fifteen hundred years of church history, and then you know, right around the Reformation, people started to change their viewpoints on that. Um, so is is a credo-baptist view too distant from a pedo-baptist view to even be considered Catholic? And so these are sort of like the questions that we might seek to answer. I don't know if we'll come to like definitive conclusions, but that was sort of what I had to say for introductory purposes. Yeah. And, you know, 
as you said, we'll, whether or not we'll answer those specific questions at all or in a way that's final or satisfying, you know, probably not. Um, but I think that, and this episode isn't even really about, you know, arguing views on baptism or anything like that. It's more, I think, a helpful um, doctrine or practice to sort of center on as an example of what we're getting at when we ask things like, what is what does it look like to be Catholic? What does it look like, or, or, or what or when do you become un-Catholic? You know, not necessarily, not necessarily saying heretical, but just saying, is there is there a certain point where you might not be able to accurately say, oh, I'm under the fold of Catholicity, and and it is that is that line something that we're able to draw? You know, and and how are we drawing? Like these are the questions. The limits of Catholicity might be another way to put it a little more negatively. Um, and also, I want to say on the outset. I'm certainly not, we're certainly not trying to, you know, put up barriers or exclude or draw lines in order to kick each other out or kick other people out of, you know, the group or whatever. Um, It's not the intention of this conversation or this podcast or anything else that either of us is involved in (laughs) to be intentionally you know divisive around things that are not necessary you know we just got done talking for a whole month about different beliefs that we called on record heretical so we're not against drawing lines um and sometimes those lines are quite firm and need to be held quite firmly um but at the same time what we're trying to get at is more of an exploring what is it you know exploring and working out what it means to be a part of Christ's church, as we say, which is full of all kinds of beautiful diversity, as well as some diversity that is complicated and questions that are not easy to answer or um, simple to discuss even amongst friends um, at times. So with all of that as sort of, I guess, an extended introduction, um, I guess we can kind of you know, walk through some of these themes and questions that we've got written down just to sort of help guide the conversation. So we've already kind of talked about somewhat like what we, when we're talking about being Catholic, when we're talking about being a part of the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, when we're saying like the word Catholic, Catholicos, literally means like basically universal. So we're talking about the whole church. We're talking about the church across time and space, you know, the church for the last 2000 years, the church across the whole planet, um, you know, the mystical body of Christ. Um, I don't necessarily like these categories, but maybe we're talking about in when we're thinking about visible and invisible church, we're talking about the whole invisible church, you know, the whole church of, of Christ, um, not the denomination church of Christ, but (laughs) the whole church that belongs to Christ. Um, and, obvious i mean i think obviously but but maybe that's not obvious for everybody that church includes more than one group of christians 
um, because as history has gone on and the gospel has entered into different cultures and entered into different um, continents and time and has the, the church has grown in those different um, cultures and different times, different geographical locations, um, different practices have emerged and different distinctives have emerged and big, huge things like the Reformation have, have happened and smaller things like individual churches splitting um, ha- have happened and and you know there's there's so much to be said about about that but as the church has developed you know we, we can point to things like the, the Eastern Orthodox churches the Roman Catholic Church the Protestant churches um, and within that we can point to you know specific denominations or specific groups within you know what we would call Protestantism and and, and different streams of the church that that or different branches on the tree that is the church, um, which I feel like a lot of this is stuff that has sort of we've done before on the show, mm. whether we're t- whether we're just talking about it or whether we're sort of exploring, you know, certain doctrines or certain um, uh, uh, Christians of history on our Friday episodes or whatever it may be. Like um, the the church transcends our own institutional divisions which doesn't mean that our own institutional divisions are pointless, right? right? Um, it does mean that ultimately the church is defined by Christ who created her and bought her. Not The church isn't defined by our own categorizations or our differences. Um, and when we're talking about being a part of the Catholic church, we're, we're, we're trying to, to allude to is the united body of Christ, the, 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 the saints that will all be gathered around the throne in eternity worshiping together, even if we don't now worship together on Sunday mornings because we're in different parts of the world, we're in di- we, we existed in different times, or even we're in different um, denominations or traditions today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's fair to say sort of what is Catholicity, right? you know, holding to that Catholic universal church. Um, I know it's, it's definitely not a term that I, I don't know, here used a, a ton, except in certain circles, you know, um, like obviously we hear like, like in the name Roman Catholic church or, right. um, you know, things like that. Um, and in certain circles, there's a lot of talk nowadays about Catholicity amongst um, certain Protestants who are interested in theological retrieval and things like that, which is also, of course, something we're big on and kind of, I think, help feed help feed these thoughts, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's That's kind of what I would have to say about Catholicity. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. No. around sort of just like what it means um i don't think so i mean you, you covered those things pretty well um yeah i guess maybe we just start kind of jumping into the next segment cool so i think the the heart of the question for me is like what what does it mean to be catholic like what what does it mean to seek after Catholicity or to see yourself as part of the broader Catholic church or however we want to phrase it. What does it mean to be Catholic? You know, 
the thoughts I have are, is it a certain list of doctrines you have to accept? You know, like the 10 things you need to know and believe to be Catholic or whatever. Is it a certain attitude? Like I have an attitude of love for the universal church and I accept it or, or something kind of, I don't know. Is it a certain hermeneutical toolkit where we interpret the Bible in this way using these methods? And if you do that, then that means you're Catholic. Yeah, I don't know. Is it something? Is it something else? Like none of these sound right to me. Mm. You know, like certainly there are certain doctrines, specifically that if you rejected, you know, I'm thinking the Trinity, the divinity of Christ. <laughs> The virgin birth, like the things that are in the creeds, for example, right. it, it would seem kind of hard for me to say, oh, you reject the virgin birth. Yes, you are faithfully a part of the Catholic Church that has always confessed the virgin. You know what I mean? Like, right. But I don't think it's simply some master list of doctrines somewhere that if you read through and you can sign the bottom of, you're good. Right. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, and like these the things thing, don't seem to quite cut it for me. I think yeah. is what I'm saying. No, agreed. And I, the the thing that comes to mind is, you know, it's different if we were asking what does it mean to be Catholic with a big C, because then yes, you would maybe have a list of doctrines that would differentiate you from a Protestant or an East, Eastern Orthodox or, or whatever. But when we're talking about what what does it mean to be little C Catholic, um, you know, I think it's very nebulous, which makes it difficult at times to maybe come to concrete things that help define what it means. Um, you know, I, especially when we consider that it means, you know, universal, um, the one holy apostolic church um, across space and time. So, I mean, we're talking about the umbrella of like, just, we, we could just say Christ's body. Uh, so when scripture speaks of his bride, of his body, um, the many people who make up that one thing with Christ as the cornerstone, um, that is another way to talk about being Catholic, little c. And because the church these days has such a wide spectrum of, I guess, faith and practice, um, that's not to say that just anybody can be a part. Like there, there are obviously, as we had, like you said, we had a, a heretical month where we talked about heresies. And we would say that certain heresies exclude you from being considered Catholic. Um, however, um, when scripture is not clear, cut, and dry on an issue, um, doctrine sort of becomes, you could almost think of it as having different tiers. Um, so there's the first tier issues. You already alluded to those, like, you know, the resurrection, the Trinity, virgin birth, uh, incarnation, stuff like that. Those are pretty, like, essential musts for any Christian to be considered a Christian. And then from there, there's a tier system of, like, um, you know, we don't want to like minimize scripture. We don't want to minimize doctrine. Um, but there is a, a reality that like how many angels are there? Um, you know, maybe that has an important application, but like as far as faith and practice, the number of angels isn't really a big deal. Um, so that could be, you know, let's say a fourth tier issue. Um, like we're not going to break fellowship on what we think about angels. So, you know, hopefully. that's, that's sort of like <laughs> hopefully helps feed into this conversation and I really wish that I had read his book. So I've mentioned Gavin Ortland before because he wrote Theological Retrieval for Evangelicals. 
Um, I mentioned the recovering or uh, retrieving Augustine's doctrine of creation. So he, he wrote both of those. He also has a book called Theological um, wait, no. Um, oh, triage? Yeah, Theological Triage, or, or however it's worded. And Some, yeah. yeah, it's in the, somewhere in the name. Yeah, and, and this idea of triage, I think we've mentioned maybe on the podcast before, um, is really important because when, when doing triage in the field of, um, you know, like a war, so you're, you're, you're tending to, to victims of, you know, b- bullets and shrapnel and sprained ankles, like you're going to have a tiered system of like what injuries are most important, what injuries need to be addressed first, you know, which ones are most critical. And so from there in triage, that's how you work through a, you know, a battlefield hospital. You do the most important things um, and you work on down. That's not to say that the sprained ankle isn't important, but compared to a bullet that has gone through a chest, you're going to focus on the, you know, the one that's at the moment seems more important. Um, and so they, they translate this idea of triage into theology, that there are those things that are essential, that are really important, that need to be discussed, that need to be held and believed, and these other things that, though important, um, are not worth breaking fellowship over. So, like, if, you know, if that's a book that you want to check out, also, I know when, when it came out earlier this year, uh, Gavin was sort of doing a podcast circuit where he was on a, a number of different podcasts, like the Crossway podcast and... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I listened to two or three interviews where he talked about this book. I think, but I think he was on Church Grammar oh, yeah. as well Yep, on that topic. So like if you're interested in kind of like what he has to say about triage. But I think, I think that that would greatly inform this conversation because what does it mean to be Catholic as far as, you know, is there a list of doctrines you have to hold to or believe? I would say yes and no because, mm. you know, there are the important ones that must be held. And then as you go from there, maybe some of the difficulty is determining which ones belong in which tier, you know, which ones belong in the Mm, most mm -hmm. important category versus second, third, and fourth. Um, You know, do we look at church history? Do we look at scripture? Um, The obvious answers are yes and yes. Um, And so I think, you know, that's why this is a very difficult question to answer, because if we look at Baptists, if we look at Presbyterians, if we look at Anglicans and Lutherans and the list could go on and on. They're going to vary from, you know, sometimes even within the congregation, like even within Lutheranism, mm-hmm. even within Anglicanism, mm-hmm. you're going to find differences. Um, but when we're looking at faith and practice, first first and foremost, the most important ones are the, the essentials, are those in place. And then as you go from there, I guess you sort of just, you know, have to trust that the person has come to those conclusions, like thoughtfully, carefully, that they've investigated scripture, that they've looked at, um, you know, maybe church history, they've read books on this. Like I, I, I would much rather have somebody who is a committed Baptist because they've actually investigated those things for themselves and have come to that conclusion. Their conscience is, you know, believes that that's the, the correct interpretation than somebody who's just like, well, I found myself in a Baptist church, so I must be a Baptist. Um, not mm. to say that that's bad necessarily, but if you're going to have a conversation about these things and if you know, who who can be excluded from being Catholic. Like, I think it's important to be able to, to back up your theological claim with scripture and with tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, like the question of orthodoxy as well can never be divorced from this question because i think that if if something is unorthodox therefore it cannot be catholic if that makes sense um and 
even with that being said, I don't think that Catholicity equals orthodoxy or vice versa, if if you know what I mean. Like, um, so they're very, very closely related, but they're not the same thing. So I think that that would help, like you're saying, like there are clearly some doctrines that are either so important or are so obviously outside, you know, a clear reading of scripture where it's like, you know, you'd have to say that doesn't fit, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do with it at that point, like certain things just wouldn't be able to fit. Yeah. Um, and I do want to say, I, I, yeah, like I want to say that, you know, the reason that I included that word Catholic in that list of theological descriptors um, is to avoid something that I sometimes find myself being guilty of. And so I, I think we all kind of struggle with this, this idea that like anything outside of our camp, anything outside of our tradition is just like not necessarily bad, but just like should be avoided. So like I know for me, like if there were things that weren't reformed or things that weren't Baptist, it wasn't that I like turned my nose at them that like it wasn't to say like, oh, that's unimportant or irrelevant. But like I almost had this like inner like questioning, uh, uh, you know, of the legitimacy because it's like, you know, I've come to you know, a reformed Baptist view of theology. And if other people haven't come that way, there must be something deficient in them. It's not that I ever said those things, but I think that's some of like mm. what goes on in the back of my mind when I would think about, you know, as a reformed person, what do you think about Anglicans? What do you think about Lutherans? What do you think about Eastern Orthodox? Um, and so the reason that Catholicity is so important is because hopefully it's teaching you to remember that Christ's body is bigger than reformed Baptists. Um, Christ's body is bigger than Anglicans. Christ's body covers the church. Again, I think there's guardrails that help keep, you know, a definition in place of what it means to be Christ's body. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when we live into the reality that it's very diverse in, you know, in their theology, in their politics, in polity, whatever you're going to talk about, like, the fact of the matter stands is that there can still be unity amidst the wide array of diversity. Um, so like I said, for me, like I've really benefited from, I mean, from this podcast myself, um, from being friends with you, from broadening my theological horizons, both on Twitter and in the scope of what I read, uh, because Mm. it's helped me become a more charitable, a more forgiving, a more, just like, I think, compassionate person, because I recognize that like, okay, so other people have thought carefully and have reasoned well and have come to different conclusions. And Mm -hmm. maybe one of us is right and the other wrong. um, But that's not necessarily the point. The point is that we are still brothers and we can have friendship, we can, you know, come hang out in Massachusetts with you and like do all kinds of things. And like, not have to hate each other. And I know that like, there probably aren't actually people that like think and act that way that like, oh, because you and I disagree on apostasy that we can't be friends. Like maybe there are people like that. (laughs) Um, But especially in light of the political season that we find ourselves in, we're not even talking about the church. We're talking about like strictly politics, um, the division Mm. that I see. But then once you go, once you step back and you see, okay, so what do Christians think about politics? There is a ton of a ton of division right now. And it's really right. sad to see. And, you know, what does it mean to be Catholic? It does not mean that you have to be a Republican. It does not mean that you have to be a Democrat. Like, those are things that are irrelevant in the conversation of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to love your neighbor, um, to, to love God first and foremost, to, 
um, to be gracious, to be hospitable, to be charitable, to um, be forgiving. Like all these things that are like no does, but as soon as we get into a political sphere, those things sometimes seem to go out the window. You know, we become snarky, um, we become conceited, we think that we have all the answers, that our candidate is always right. Right. And I'm not trying to get political, so like I'll step back. Um, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that you know when we talk about the church and we talk about our our unity, what unifies us. Um, you know, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think I tweeted recently that, you know, those things do not suddenly become irrelevant. It's not as though those things just drop off the map, but those things are no longer what caricaturize or caricaturize us. Um, we're not, you know, I'm not just American. I'm above all else, a Christian. I'm a member of Christ's church who happens to live in America. And there are certain things that that means, but my union within the body means that my brothers and sisters in Spain or Portugal or wherever we have brothers and sisters around the world, I have a relation to them that supersedes national boundaries that uh, goes above and beyond where we just live. Um, and so I think, again, that's, that is part of what it means to be Catholic is a recognition that Christ's body is global that it is made up of all different types of people, all different types of ethnicities, all different types of political backgrounds. You know, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast or if I mentioned it to you in a, I, sometimes I like forget what we say off air. Um, <laughs> right. But there was a book I was reading recently um, where um, Tim Keller was talking about a, a man that he knew who, who was an American, who was a Republican, um, who was a Christian, and he went overseas for a couple years uh, for work and wherever he was living was a socialist country. And so he, this, this man had this you know, life-changing realization that there are actual Christians in the world who are very faithful, orthodox, like really solid believers who happen to hold to a socialist view of government. And that like doesn't make them blasphemous or you know, deserving of hell. I think sometimes there are, are American Christians who think such a thing, that suddenly if you're a socialist that you you know, need to be excommunicated or something. Um, and so Tim Keller was making the point in this book that, you know, Christ, again, Christ's church transcends these, these identifiers. And first and foremost, above all else, we are defined by our, our union in Christ. So that's... <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good... Uh, what's the word? Like, the impact... Or, or I guess I should say one of the impacts, one of the results of being sensitive to the fact of Christ's Catholic Church. Like, whether we like it or not, <laughs> we are all united by the blood of Christ to all other believers throughout time and space. It does engender that humility of, we disagree on this or that secondary issue. I don't have to assume you've made some mistake or you know, you're being malicious by coming to this false conclusion, you know, which maybe you are making a mistake and that's why you believe something different than me, or maybe I'm making the mistake and it opens the door to that humility on those issues, which, which range from differences in political opinions all the way up to differences over, you know, d secondary theological issues that are probably more important than political party identification, but less important than like, the divinity of Christ or something. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, do we use 
leavened or unleavened bread in communion. I think that's a valuable conversation full of theological symbolism that has been going on for centuries. It's not anywhere near as important as a lot of other theological conversations that right. are going on or have been going on that need to, to be had, um, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's it's so interesting to me to think, like, there's this there's this tension, I think, this really fine line That's that I word. can't quite nail down around thinking about Catholicity in such a way that it ultimately becomes, like, just a buzzword where there's no real tangible way to express or explain or define it or defining it in such a way that it becomes this really, really rigid box that ends up, you know, chopping off all or most of the believers who disagree with my tradition. Because right. it's like, you know, if we define it too rigidly, then you're going to end up chopping off people that, in all reality, are probably prayerful, faithful, orthodox believers who might have significant differences than you on, you know, X or Y or Z specific issue. Um, and there's this, there's this in-between zone where it's this recognition of something that's true and meaningful, but isn't like harsh and rigid. Mm. Um, that makes it so hard to sit down and be like, Catholicity means da 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 da, da you know? Um, and, and I think to sort of loop back around to the thing that always comes to my mind on, on when, when I think about what, what it means to be Catholic, when I think about these questions is, is, is always like we brought up before credo baptism and pedo baptism. Again, I'm not here to exclude credo Baptists or say only pedo Baptists have it right. Whatever. We have our opinions. We have a whole episode on baptism. That's not really here nor there, but it's just like for the reason it always comes to my mind is I grew up Baptist. I have a lot of friends who are Baptist and professors who are Baptist. And to me, I see that, you know, to, to grossly oversimplify <laughs> for the first 1500 years, there was universal consensus in terms of practice and theology that we baptize infants there's baptismal regeneration, which is a whole complicated issue in itself. And what does it mean to no longer believe those things about something as significant as baptism, you know, the rite of initiation into the church um, that we're commanded by Christ to perform to all the nations? You know, like it's a pretty big deal yeah. to have such a difference and you know, I was going to say like break with tradition, which is sort of an overly hostile way to put it, I think, because obviously the the people and the traditions who have emerged in church history, who have affirmed a credo Baptist position are not doing so in order <laughs> to chop themselves, at least most are not trying to chop themselves off from the tree of the church the family tree of the church. Right. They're, they're getting there, like you said, carefully, thoughtfully, um, biblically. Even if we may disagree, there's no verse that says, thou shalt baptize babies or thou shalt not. And when you really think about it, like I, I, I had this out. thought, I had this thought when we were sort of like 
discussing this earlier this week. Like, a, someone who believes in baptizing of believers as opposed to, to infants, like, if you really think about it, that person has a lot. Like, they stand, they, they're the person that has the most to lose, quote unquote. If you think about, you know, what, what it might mean to baptize an infant versus, you know, waiting to, till someone actually is a believer. Um, someone who can make a conscious choice. And I know that that like has serious implications, especially when you consider church history. I mean, I know that there are, are people and examples in church history where someone would wait until um, near death before they got baptized because of, you know, not wanting to sin much after their baptism or, or whatever. So like there's, there, when you, especially when you look at the history of baptism, the way that it's been thought about and discussed, there, there are a lot of different ways that it's been put forward. And in my mind, one of the things is like, at least baptism is still very important. Like this is something that like people do care about. People discuss and they have done serious theological work to come to their conclusions. And I think, as I said in our episode about baptism, you know, I have a lot of respect for pastors and theologians and academics who especially when we consider the Center for Baptist Renewal guys, um, like some of the work that they're doing in retrieving um, the Catholic faith, but still remaining credo-baptist, like I, I can't, you can't just like dismiss that. You can't just throw it away. Um, you might still disagree, uh, but to say that they're just completely wrong to write everything else that they do off just because of that, I think is dangerous. And it's not being charitable it's not being you know patient with people even as you know let's in, let's engage in conversations and that's sort of like what i like about our our podcast here because you and i can have differing beliefs and theological opinions but we can still come together and talk about them and have it not turn into like a shootout you know where someone has to win and someone has to lose right right and and i think it's it's sort of interesting to think about catholicity as a tool or a protection against that kind of way of approaching each other where everything turns into a life or death fight, you know, and, and I can respect or at least understand why that might be the case. You know, um, we're talking about the word of God. We're talking about things that are really, really serious. Of course we ought to take them more seriously than we do. Um, at the same time, we also, ought to be one as Christ and the Father are one, you know, <laughs> which does, definitely does not include, you know, jumping down each other's throats over every disagreement. Again, there are certain things that are very obviously outside the pale. There are certain things that, you know, if somebody <laughs> just jumps down your throat for no reason, <laughs> you don't have to pretend like they're engaging in a good faith argument with you but like the point is i i do think like what what you i think you've really been been getting at both in terms of theological disagreements as well as in terms of just general disagreements between people who are christians is there's this sense of humility and love that is maybe not quite impossible but maybe close to impossible without some sense of Catholicity, some sense of these people who disagree with me in this room who might represent, you know, this church or that church or whatever 
are hmm. at bottom my brothers and sisters. Therefore, I'm going to interact with them in a certain way as opposed to these people are my, you know, enemies. They're people who have betrayed the faith. They're people who are mishandling scripture. Like, that posture is naturally going to be much more hostile or, you know, aggressive. Mm. Um, And there is a place for that because there are people who are false teachers. There are people who are mishandling the word either deliberately or by just being totally uh, negligent or incapable. And yes, there is there again, there is such a thing as heresy, you know, like we're definitely, I think our track record proves we're not, (laughs) we're not afraid to say that, you know? Um, I don't know, but, but I think there is this element where Catholicity enables a certain amount of humility and love that at the very least, it's much more difficult to have if you're, if you come from a tradition where your orientation to other church traditions is separation, um, you know, I think of certain strands of Protestantism. I think of like independent fundamental Baptists. I think of um, like the restorationist church movement. Um, this idea of there was this great apostasy and we're re- recovering the church, you know, like um, that's going to lead to a much different attitude than oh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ's church and has continued for two millennium, two millennia, and it's continuing to continue today in all of its myriad of expressions. And that's my, like, starting point. Right. You know, so I'm going to come to my Baptist friends and my Anglican friends and my Roman Catholic friends starting there instead of starting, well, I'm right. My, my dudes are right. And now I'm going to go out to all the people who are wrong, who right. think they're right. I, I don't know. Well, I think that's probably, I I know you and I usually discuss at the outset before we start recording, you know, what we're going to read as our final prayer. And we didn't do mm-hmm. that. Um, but within our episode, um, I thought of the perfect passage to sort of wrap things up. So I, if, if that's okay, if, if you think we're oh, a yeah. good stopping point, um, yeah. we, will, we will conclude with Colossians 3. And I'm going to read. I thought you were going to say uh, one. <laughs> nope. That, I mean, that would be a good one. But this is this is right up there. This is Colossians 3, 8 through 17. It says, But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Um, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Man, that's, that's a sentence to ponder. You are being wow. renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcision or, un, uh, or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. Uh, Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let uh, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing uh, one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Mm. Dude, and Amen. I feel like there could be a whole episode on <laughs> unpacking oh, some yeah. of what's in, in that little little text there. But the no, I'm not going to get into it. But I was going to say, <laughs> in Christ, there is not Jew nor Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision. Um, circumcision and uncircumcision were a big deal to the people that he would have been writing to. And so for Paul to say that in Christ, it's not, again, it's not that those things become irrelevant or that they're unimportant, but in Christ, they, that is the thing that is above all other things. So with that, Lucas, do you have anything that you're, you're reading this week? Uh, yes, always. Always. Um, but I actually, the book I want to talk about is I actually, it's something I read. (laughs) I, I, read it in between last time we recorded and this time. So I'm done with it, but I haven't talked about it yet. It's called Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics by Ross Douth, Douthat, Douthat, D-O-U-T-H-A-T. Yeah, I don't know how to D- say it. I don't Do know that. How to say it, but um, it is, I think it came out in like 2012 or something like that. So it's it's, you know, a lot has happened, I think, that he would probably add um, if he were to, to update the, the book. But basically, he, he looks at more or less the last hundred years of American history, and he, he explores just the development of Christianity. And he talks about the different um, trends in the Roman church, in evangelicalism, in mainline Christianity. The And, and he's, he's really getting at the cultural and social sociological sort of impacts and the shifts that have happened so you know how does how does the main line go from protestant liberalism to neo-orthodoxy to just full-on accommodation you know go with the flow whatever the culture says like what does that look like and what's the impact of that on on the broader culture what does it look like for um evangelicals to go from you know removed from the culture, separated, fundamentalist, anti-intellectual, to on the national stage, selling out Madison Square Garden with Billy Graham, you know, um, how does, you know, how does the rise of, you know, like party affiliation, talking about politics with, with, with different, you know, if someone says they're an evangelical, you know what, you know who they're voting for. And if someone's, you know, in the main line, you know who they're voting for. Like, how does that happen? And what does that mean? And he kind of traces the history and then also explores um, different heresies, basically, as, as, that he identifies, you know. So he he talks about um, the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. He talks about the sort of like resurgence of pseudo-gnostic, you know, revisionist sort of popular spirituality you know things like the Gospel of Thomas and uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code, and and like I said, it's not just he's not just like exploring theological trends, but also very um, culturally relevant things too. Um, and it's it, it was such you know through a series of unfortunate events, I ended up having to read the whole three hundred pages in like twenty four hours, and it was just it was it was a super 
great book. It was really well written. It was compelling. He made some really interesting arguments and opened my eyes to a lot about the Roman Catholic Church in America that I just wasn't familiar with. That was really cool. But I'd highly recommend reading it um, just to gain a little bit more perspective on um, the role that that American Christianity played and has played and kind of use that to maybe reevaluate or evaluate some of the things that American Christianity is doing and, and, and roles that it's playing now as well. Um, so yeah, bad religion, Ross, doubt that, um, do that. I highly <laughs> would highly recommend it. Yeah. Very good. Um, so I don't have a lot to say about the books that I'm reading. I'm still making my way through Jesus, the great philosopher, which has been a great book. I feel like I'll say more once I finish it. Um, I've also been reading till we have faces by CS Lewis, which is like fiction. So like, I'm only like 50 pages in, so there's not much I want to say. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to plug your new article, Lucas, um, as... Oh, yikes. Right? (laughs) Well, if if our listeners don't know, Lucas has been uh, published, at least in article form, twice to my knowledge. I mean, and the two that I know of are both very significant. One time with um, the, the Center for Baptist Renewal guys, and now with... Is it Anglican Compass? Is that the the site? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, Compass. I mean, if, if you want to find it, Lucas tweeted about it, or I'm sure if you went to the Anglican Compass, you could find Lucas Stock. Um, but a very uh, well-written, well-articulated article on um, on Mary, on being the, the God-bearer. And, you know, we've, we've already had an episode on Mary and dogmas. I think, you know, talking about the incarnation, Mary has come up from time to time. And so I think you did a really good job being um, nuanced and balanced in talking about, like, ways that we can retrieve um, Marian theology without, you know, having to go full big C Catholic and adhere to the dogmas that they espouse. But I don't know. I thought it was a really cool article. It's it's fun to be able to say that my friend, you know, is published places that people will actually read. So um, if you haven't seen that or if you haven't read it, like you should go read it. So that's that's my plug this week. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it means a lot. Yeah. So we'll say thank you to the listener for uh, listening to this episode of the Doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, and we know that you do, um, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or you can send us an email uh, at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always love your feedback, any questions, episode ideas. Feel free to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, You'll get uh, some of the most up-to-date information. Uh, You usually get a nice little sneak peek into what we're going to talk about on Friday's episode. Um, But until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Peace. Peace.